terrific interview, Ed, and uh, I think we've got our next guest pretty much on on set, pretty much to hop in here and join us, and a uh, big-time name here, and a good friend of ours, uh, wanted to welcome in 14 years in the NBA, Mike James. Mr. James, what's going on? What's going on, man? How you doing tonight, guys? Mike, what's happening? Man, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to hang out with you guys, talk a little mess. Yes, yes, yes. It's been a while, man. What you been up to? Yes, man. Um, I, I, I didn't know that, you know, the, the second half of my life, I would be a farmer. But, yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I found myself enjoying that lifestyle and, you know, everything that comes along with it. But, yeah, that's mainly what I've really been on, you know, the last uh, last year. You know, Mike, I had to educate Edgar tonight coming into this interview. I know he knows a lot about your career, but he was actually surprised when I hit him with this statistic, and it is such a good one. The first undrafted player in NBA history to average 20 points per game in a season, 20.3 in 2006. That's a pretty good stat. You know, You know what's crazy about that stat? It's like everyone was like, yo, like amazed at what I did that year. I can remember after the playoffs that um, we played against Dallas. We went seven. You know, that series, it really wasn't stop Yao or T-Mac. It was stop Mike James and we win the series. So I gained this confidence in those playoffs, like, oh, man, I'm really nice like that. Like, that's when I really realized, like, you know what? These guys really can't guard me out here. So I can remember that summer I was at T-Mac's house, and I said to him, yo, I looked him straight in his face. I said, yo, the All-Star game is in Houston next year. Y'all got all the Chinese votes. I ain't trying to be Batman. I ain't trying to be Robin. I ain't even trying to be Alfred. But if you put me on every guard, I promise you, I'm going to lock down the point guard position if you believe in me. He laughed at me. And I looked at him with like this crazy look on my face like, what's so funny? Like, I'm so serious right now. You know what I mean? And so when I got traded to Toronto, I could remember... They traded me on media. They traded me the day after media day. So I did all of the raw run and, you know, let's go rocket and stuff. And the next morning, Jeff was like, yo, we traded you to Toronto. I was taking my, about to take my daughter to school and then go to practice. And she, he said, yo, we traded you to Toronto. And I said, Toronto? I said, wait, 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 wait. You tripping right now. I said, for who? He said, Ray for Austin. I said, Ray for, and who else? I said, I know you didn't just give me up straight up for just one-on-one for Ray for. He said, just for Ray for. I said, are you serious? Like, now I'm seriously like, like my Jordan dropped. Like, it's straight up. So, you know, I can remember being in the car and all I kept thinking to him, I was talking to my wife, taking my daughter, my, my, uh, one of my daughters was two. The other one was, uh, was uh, five. And I'm taking them to school and I'm thinking to myself like, Dad, how come no one really takes me serious? How come it's so difficult 
for someone to believe in me. And I started crying. And my wife was looking at me crazy. My oldest daughter was looking at me crazy. But my two-year-old, she said, daddy a crybaby. Daddy's a crybaby. Daddy's a crybaby. And so I took it as like, man, what is you crying for? Man, suck it up. Don't even trip. Whatever you felt like you was going to do for the Houston Rockets, you do because that's just who you are. So I built this anger and, you know, I would never, it was such a, it was such a, like, I don't play for the name on the um, front of my jersey. I play for the name on the back of my jersey. And I'm always going to represent that name on the back of my jersey. And you're going to like me regardless because I know you really don't care. So I'm going to do me, however that feeling. And it didn't really help me a lot of the ways because they always took it as an arrogance or a cockiness. But that 20, that's just who I was. That's just who I believed who I was. You know, I remember that year I called Chauncey when they was playing against uh, they was playing against uh, San Antonio in the series, and they was down like 2-0, and Tony Parker's killing them. And I'm like, I called him on like, yo, what's what y'all doing? Like, y'all tripping. I said, listen, if y'all don't do it this year, because we just won the championship the year before. So I was like, yo, if y'all don't do it this year, you know what I mean? I was like, it's a wrap next year. I said, ain't nobody guarding y'all. Ain't nobody guarding T-Mac, and ain't nobody in the league going to guard me. So, you know, he was already like, Mike, whatever, get out of here. You're talking crazy. But that's just that 20 and all of that, you know, it was just me just basically now just saying, listen, this is what I believe. And y'all get to see what my work is and y'all get to see who I am as a player. So it was a surprise to the world, but it wasn't a surprise to me at all. Mike, I was going to say, you played on, you know, obviously a lot of teams. Can you talk about, like, the the business side? Obviously, like, did that impact you when even, like, now you do you want to get back into the league and, you know, be a GM or be a coach and stuff like that? Of course, uh, my peers, it was a difference because my peers respected me. You know, guys, the – superstars, they went to sleep the night before when they knew they had to play against me. It was the front office where I was the second uh, backup, third guard, and fourth guard, happy shit, I should even be on the team. It's the front office that put me in that on that level. So every front office that saw me, they would never give me the credibility or respect. But when I see LeBron James, he says, what up, cousin? When I see Steve Nash, I look at him in his eyes. I see him swallowing the spit. You see what I'm saying? And he know he's going to have a bad game tonight. But to the front office, I'm just happy to be here. But to my peers, they looked at me as on the same level as them. And even getting back into coaching, I tried to get into coaching. You know, I coached with the Rockets a little bit. And I enjoy it. I would love to get back into it. But at the same time, my focus, my focus really isn't the game. It's more if I'm going to get into the game, I'd rather teach the youth. I'd rather teach the young kids before they start building the bad habits. I could help them, you know what I mean, keep elevating their game and building and believing in their dream. 
And I like that because it's almost like everything I touch as a young player, they turn into something crazy. You know what I mean? And I've learned this even in the game. It's not the physical part of the game. You can shoot a million jump shots a day. You can do 10 hours of dribbling drills. But if you don't elevate mentally, you'll never believe the things that you're doing and you'll revert right back to your old bad ways because it's comfortable and it's familiar. And it's only when you change the kid's mind. It's only when you change any player or any person's mind. Then they believe in the things that they're doing. So there's a different swag. There's a different confidence because the confidence no longer comes in their skill. Their confidence now comes in the work and what they've been putting into it. And now that they know that they know. And when you know that you know, you walk with a different. It's like I'm not banking on my skill. I'm banking on my work. And because of my work, my work gives me the belief that I can be on the same level as the superstar that don't work as hard. Mike, when you have, I mean, to me, you had to be impressed this week when you see a guy like Fred Van Vliet put up such a great performance for the Raptors, also being another guy that was undrafted. And for me, I think your performance in that season that we just spoke about, honestly, it paved the way for a lot of GMs to look at trying to find these kind of hidden gems that might have been overlooked in the draft. 100%. My, my, my struggle and my fight in my career it really opened up the doors to make them believe like, yo, I can find a superstar from nowhere. You know, Mike James is a, a proven fact of that. But nobody, there was always a, like a little fear for them to really believe that maybe he can. It was one of those things where, because me personally, I was a jack of all trades. I wasn't great at nothing. I was just good at everything. So I didn't stand out at nothing. I didn't have a great jump shot. I wasn't great athletically. I wasn't gifted fat. I wasn't gifted in speed. I wasn't all those things, but I was I was quick. I had a pretty good jump shot. I was pretty fast. I was pretty athletic. I had my defense was good. It wasn't great. Everything. So across the board, I was even. So when you look at the guys, a lot of other guys, they may be great in one area, but they trash across the board. But because they're great in this area, but they will always give them the benefit of the doubt. So my thing was, you might beat me here, but when I'm a, when I'm equal across the board, eventually you're going to fizz out against me. When I see guys like Fred Van Vliet, you know what? There's always diamonds in the rut, in the rough. I always just say, do it again. Don't get bored. If this is who you are, man, don't stop. If you had 50 last night, you bet not have nine the next night. You better stay on that level. And it's only person is going to stop you from believing that you're on that level is yourself. And if you don't stop yourself, man, don't stop. Mike, I beg to differ about your career because, and I think it's fitting that you got the Duquesne hoodie on tonight because when you retire from college or, or leave, I shouldn't say retire, but leave the college ranks 1998, you, you at that time are first all-time in steals for the program. So you say pretty good defender, but first all-time in steals. And then at that point, the 10th all-time leading scorer for Duquesne. So to me, you totally were overlooked. I mean, you should have been on an funny, NBA roster funny, and instead had to go overseas. Funny story. I didn't even get I didn't even get invited to Portsmouth. But uh funny story. Um uh what was his name? Oh my goodness. I just grouped um drew a blank. But he was the coach that brought me in 
my freshman year. He's going to come to me. He was the coach that brought me in my freshman year. I didn't even get a scholarship. I came at the end of the year. They said, Mike, just come the first day of school. Trust me, you'll have a scholarship. I have got my scholarship out the park. And he, uh, he signed me. And he told me I was the worst basketball player he ever seen play basketball. And he'll rather have a walk-on start before he ever let me play the game. Because, like, our starting point guard got hurt or whatever. And so he gets fired. And that next year, I make third team all Atlantic 10, whatever. Fast forward all of that. My third year in the NBA, he's the head assistant coach for the Boston Celtics. And I'm the starting point guard for the Boston Celtics. And all I can think about was those words that how he tried to crush me. And how he tried to tell me that I couldn't make it to this point. How as a freshman in college, he tried to tell me I would never see this side. And I used to make him rebound on purpose for me. Like, man, can you come rebound for me? And I was short and make it bounce and roll all the way down the other end. So he had to go chase it. And but I never bring it up. I never put it in his face. But at the same time, and this was crazy. Jim O'Brien um, quit that year. He was the head interim coach for the Boston Celtics, and I was his starting point guard in the NBA. And I used to look at him in the huddles. <laughs> I used to just be like, man, you tried to tell me I couldn't be here. Like, are you serious? Are you my head coach right now in the NBA? Not my freshman year at Duquesne University. How crazy and ironic is that? And so. It was always people telling me that I wasn't good enough. I, I could never be there. And I hated my career. I absolutely, you know, one of the biggest regrets of my NBA career was I was in the I was in the CBA. I got I got I got uh I got cut by the uh, Miami Heat. I was the final cut. They gave me like a partial contract and I was like, cool, I'm about to go back overseas, you know what I mean, and make some money now. Paul Tez was about to sign me. They're a EuroLeague team. I was about to make a bag. And Scott Cameron from the Heat, he's been, he said, uh, Mike, if you go overseas, out of sight, out of mind, go to the CBA. And I always said, I will never play in the CBA. That is the worst dead dog league. I hate it. And when he said that, I said, CBA. I said, what do you mean CBA? So I went to the CBA, signed with the Rockford Lightning. My first six games, I probably shot four for 90. I remember being, we was in Saskatchewan somewhere in South Dakota somewhere. And I had another game where I was like three for like 25. And everyone's talking about how Mike Davis is in the CBA and he's supposed to be out of here in the next week or two. I call my wife and I'm, I'm in tears. And I'm crying. Like, I guess I was a crybaby. Like, you know what I'm saying? I guess I was a crybaby. But I'm in tears again. And I said, I'm done. I hate this game. I'm done with basketball. I said, I cannot watch this. I refuse to watch myself perform like this. I said, I am not a 10-day cat. I refuse to see myself signing with a team for 10 days and then going back to the CBA. I said, nah. I said, we ain't doing this. 
So she was like, hold on, have faith, whatever. The next two weeks in the CBA, look it up. I'm averaging 36 points, 12 assists, 14 rebounds, seven steals. I am destroying this league for the next two weeks. San Antonio calls me, and they called me to give me a 10-day. And I'm the player of the week the next two weeks in the CBA. They call me. Get, they say they're going to give me a 10-day. I call someone from the Miami Heat. I'm excited about, you know, like I've been there the whole summer, so I know some people that work in the front office. I'm excited about, you know, San Antonio about to get me out of this dungeon. And I said, I'm going to the San Antonio Spurs. Like, I'm so happy. She said, wait, 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 what? Hold on. I'm going to call you right back. I'm sitting there like, you just going to hang up on me like that? Like, I forget you then. Like, you know, I ain't think nothing, nothing. Two minutes later, Randy Fun calls me. It's like, listen, I guarantee you for the whole year, come back to Miami, yada, 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 yada. I'm like, 10-day? Guaranteed the whole year? I done played three years in Europe. My first contract was $30,000. You know what I'm saying? Then I, my second year in the European League, I made $40,000. My third year, I made $90,000. And now here it is. 10-day guarantee for the rest of the year. Man, listen, we ain't even talking to Pop no more. Like, I don't even want to talk to you no more. That 10-day stuff, like, we ain't even talking about it. But I believe in my heart that was the worst decision I ever I made in my career. I believe that Pat, what Pat Riley saw, this is what Pat Riley saw. He used to tell me this all the time. I used to feel like the illegitimate child. You should be happy you even in the league. I found you. You should th- you should be thankful that somebody even gave you a chance. Yada 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 yada. So I can remember like so this was always like how I always used to hear in my head when I played. I make any mistake. I make anything where I think that I'm the hot doo-doo right now. He would always read remind, he would remind me that you, you listen, you you went to Duquesne, you was undrafted, don't get it twisted. I believe Pop would have saw me and would have been like, I think I got something. I think who this kid think he is, I believe it. And I believe that my career went the way it went because I don't believe that I would have been the man that I was supposed to be who God called me to be. And I would have allowed this game and the success of this game to take me into a place that would have been a separate for who I know who I am. And in that, I'm completed. And I'm grateful and I have gratitude and it all makes sense. I was supposed to hate the game. I wasn't supposed to have fun. I wasn't. I remember I bought a jacket. It was a Muhammad Ali jacket. It was Adidas jacket. And it said greatest of all time. I never wore it because that was my goal. Like, it was like, I can't wear it until I can arrogantly wear that. Like, but they would never put me on the court. And it's y'all here that I can't play. You know what I'm saying? But I'm nicer than y'all nicest guard. But you're telling me I can't play. I got to sit on the bench. You mock me being the first one in the gym. You mock me being the last one to leave. I'm not doing it for y'all to see me. I'm doing it so when I step on the court, 
I'm going to annihilate you. That was my thing. Like, I'm just as nice as you and I'm going to show you. I was, I was 38 years old, starting in the NBA for the Dallas Mavericks. I took Darren Collins' position. When I first got there, I saw who the, they was in last place. I saw who the starting point guard was. I was like, "Oh, that's a wrap." I said, "I'm gonna have his." I said, "I'm gonna have his position by Christmas." I'm in practice arrogantly picking him up 94 feet, arrogantly talking crazy to him, arrogantly letting him know you can't guard me, but I'm 38. And I can remember we, I'm getting ready. Rick Carlisle finally gave me the starting position and I'm getting ready for the game. Like my, my, my ritual that I do, I always took the early bus, always got ready, always got my shots up. And I do this crazy ritual before the game. And I'm doing my ritual. He calls me over and he's like, Mike, it's okay. You got the starting position. Calm down now. You don't have to work so hard. Like, like, what is wrong with you? You don't have to impress me no more. I said, coach, listen, judge me by what I do out there. Don't judge me by my DOB, please. I said, please let me do me. I said, leave me alone right now. Like, if you want me to perform how you put me in a position to perform, let me mentally think that this is the stuff that I need to do to get me ready to go out there and think that that's the stuff that got me ready for the game. If somebody else don't need, somebody else don't need to do all of that, that's on them. But me personally, I thought in my head I needed to go ham before the game in order to get ready. So if that's what it takes for me to bang my head against the wall to get ready and then I go out there and I kill, then there's nothing else to say. That year, I ran up on Damian Lillard. And I told Damian Lillard like this before the game. It was the craziest thing. I said, I heard you that young boy. I said, I'm 38 years old. You got an old man guarding you tonight. You should bust his tail. I said, I want to see it. I said, I don't believe it. Every time he dribbled the ball, I would sit there and say, my man ain't doing that tonight. He ain't going nowhere. So this is how I carried myself. But it was the front office that made me look like I was Reggie. But my peers, man, they knew. When they was playing against me, man, Mike James ain't playing tonight. You better come correct or it's going to be a problem. One of my guys... I was on a podcast, my boy, uh, Say Word Podcast, shout out to JoJo. He asked me a question. Name your top five all-time greatest New York guards. I named Rod Strickland. I named Kenny Anderson. I named the era that I know. And then I, I paused. And I stopped. And he said, what's wrong with you? There's a lot of guards from New York. You tripping right now. I said, I can't put nobody in my era before me because everybody my era felt me from every borough. So I basically said, other than Rod and Kenny Anderson, wasn't nobody from New York nicer than me. And I meant that. And every guard that think that they was up there, at some point, they was all in front of me. And they all remember when I was behind them and I passed up all of them. I passed up all of them. 
You know, Mike, I think that's a great segue for us because it was only, it's hard to believe, but it was nine years ago that I, I spoke to you on BronxNet and I basically called you out because back home, you had never lost a game and we took hoops in the sun. I don't know if, if this jersey behind you is bringing back any sort of nightmares, but this is actually the official jersey of Kenny Satterfield, who also played in the NBA. We bring out this squad. We actually beat you in your hometown. Now, I will give you credit. Now, if anybody they go on YouTube and they check out the video that I did all those years ago, you had 70 points in that game. I think it was 70, 68, 70, 72. You carried your team, but they still had a bunch of NBA players in the game. You know what happened? You know what happened? I blame my coach. He passed the ball to Jason. uh, He passed the ball to Jay in the, down low in the post and he shot a brick and you know you suppose like it's an aura it's an energy this is my Michael this is my MJ moment right now you supposed to get the ball to MJ they got the ball to somebody with different initials other than MJ I couldn't believe it but it's all good you guys did get your first win against me in the park now but i'll take that (laughs) we're here tonight edgar and i are actually going to give you a chance for redemption we wanted to offer the rematch that's what we wanted to offer i know covid might not allow street basketball in 2021 but if it does we want the rematch either this summer or in 2022 when when we're able to have mike james day back at back home again i look forward to it really because I'm really going to do something for my neighborhood and I'm never going to stop it. And I'm going to, I'm going to continue to keep giving back to my community, letting these kids be able to see what success look like, feel it, touch it and believe that and look at it and be like, yo, he's no different than me. If he can do it, I can do it. Make it look easy. Make it look like it ain't something that's so far fetched. And so I make myself tangible and I'm always going to make myself tangible. Because I believe that next, I didn't have no one come back from the hood, you know what I'm saying, Was I, when I was a kid, and come back and show us that, yo, we can do this also. We can become successful. We can become something bigger than what we are in, in our small communities. And so I just want to just always make them kids know. And then when they become successful, come back. Because it's going to be a next generation after you that's going to need someone to look up to to believe that they can be the ones because my name is only going to be a memory at some point. You know, when they see the Mike James basketball courts and all that, all of that's going to be a memory, but then it's supposed to carry over to the next generation. And now someone's supposed to be building it for the next ones that's coming up. And so that's just my heart. That's just my goal. Understanding that it ain't about me. It's about the next youngest that's coming up after me. Mike, um, there's a rumor going out that, you know, Overtime is planning on doing a um, a semi-pro division for high school kids where they will pay high school kids. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, and do you think it's cool? I, me personally, I think I'm against it. But do you think it's cool that they, they will do a semi-pro league for high school kids at this point? I think the problem with today's society, no one wants to pay dues. No one wants to go through the cycle of, you know, of life. They want to have their cake, but they just want the ingredients and then cake. 
like they don't want to make the eggs and the batter and the flour and the water and what they don't they don't want to mix it they don't want to put it in the oven for the time that it's supposed to be in the oven wait for the cake to be open they want they want the these are the ingredients and i want cake now i don't want to go through the process and so there's a process we all went through being broke we all went through being hungry it was the hunger that drove us the most it was the one it was us being able i said i was telling one of my friends the other day that the problem is our kids have too many pairs of jordans they don't get to look at the kid with all the jordans and build the hunger inside them and build the drive because they want their own Jordans and they don't get to play that's my car because they get a car at 16. They don't get play. They don't get the window shop because they got their credit card to go shop. They don't get, uh, there's nothing that makes them drive and hunger and desire to have those things because they have them at the, at their call, at the beckoning call. And it's the fault of the parents. But how do you, how can you not? When you went through all of that as a kid and you struggled and you clawed for it and you finally give a success, you finally make some money, you have babies, they good babies. You love them. You know, they make mistakes at times, but why can't they have the Jordans if they want the Jordans? Why can't they go to the best schools if they want to go to the best? Ain't that what you're supposed to do? But in the process, they lose the drive. They lose the hunger. So they don't want to go. It's 10 o'clock. They don't want to. They don't want to go through the fight. They don't have no fight in them. And now they want to go to high school, and then they want to get paid after high school, and they want to like, but they're not ready yet. It's like it's like freaking being being a cake, and you've only been in the oven for a certain amount of minutes. You're gonna fall. You're not ready. You got to continue to keep growing. You got to go through college. You got to get. Are you nicer than the kids in college? Like, how you going to be able to get some money before the college kids get money? If anybody going to get money, the college kids should be getting money. Why should they build a semi-pro play league for a bunch of high school kids that's only going to try to play like Stephen Curry? Like, nobody wants to see that trash basketball. The only one that makes that work is Stephen Curry and Damian Lillard. The only other than that, everyone else looks trash doing step back and James Harden. Other than that, I don't want to see nobody shooting the daggone uh, step-back three-pointer. Well, how come can't nobody get to the basket no more? How come if you go 0 for 2 from the three-point line that you can't say to yourself, I need to get fouled now? I got to go get a free throw. I got to go get a layup. I got to go get a bucket. Can't nobody go get a bucket no more. Everybody just shoot threes now. Don't nobody – and if you want to see high school kids, if you're going to watch semi-pro high school players, that's all you're going to watch. You're going to watch no defense. You're going to watch no systems. You're going to watch kids that don't even know how to play basketball no more. A whole bunch of AAU basketball players, high-flying dunks and alley-oops and three-pointers and a lot of turnovers and misses. Don't nobody want to see that. That's going on in the NBA right now. So if it's bad basketball at the highest level, trickle it down now. Mike, in terms of your – in terms of your career, you know, again, we talked a little bit about the college days. I think it's important for the fans at home, too, to know about that success in the sense of that number 13 jersey is now retired by Duquesne, which is a huge achievement for someone, of course, 
that had such a great career in the college ranks. But I think when we talk about championships, you got a chance to win one overseas in Austria, but you also got a chance to win the big one, of course, in the NBA. And I wanted to focus in on that with this question. So in 2004, you end up winning the championship with the Detroit Pistons. I wanted to get your fondest memories from that season because I'm sure a lot of fans will remember that nickname of the Pitbulls with you and Lindsey Hunter. We were a brotherhood, seriously. Funniest story is I remember I used to always tell Chauncey and Rip that I was nicer than them and I used to kill them when I used to play with other teams when I was with Miami and Boston before I signed with Detroit. I used to always tell Rip, like, man, I used to kill y'all. Like, you used to, like, and I did, but but they used to always play, Mike, you wasn't like that. Mike, you wasn't playing like that against us. So it was the end of the uh it was the end of the um the regular season. We're about to play Milwaukee in the playoffs. Rip calls. Rip is like, yo, let's have a team huddle, guys. Let's go into the locker room. Let's have a serious, like, powwow before we um the playoffs start. Let's get prepared. So I'm thinking, you know, it ain't nothing. They play a video, a five-minute video of all my turnovers, three years of the teams I played for against the Detroit Pistons. And it was nothing but Mike James bloopers, five minutes. And I'm sitting there, they laughing, rolling around the table, they're crying. And I'm sitting there the whole time like, ha, ha, ha. Joke's on me. For the remainder of my career, every time I saw Rip and Chauncey, it was like, it was like a bull seeing a red, like uh, seeing like the red little thing. Like it was something different when I saw them and it all went back to that video and me reminding them that I was just as nice as y'all. Don't get it twisted. Like I gave them 38. That was my career high, but it was always like every time I played against Chauncey, it was always a battle. I respect those guys. We was a brotherhood. And that's, it was funny, but that's the type of friendship that we had. We had a friendship on the court, and we also had a friendship off the court. I never seen, I never experienced that type of collaboration amongst teammates than with the Detroit Pistons. It was almost like I went to other teams looking for it, and it almost like disgusted me that I could never find it again. And it was nothing but just real cats. Had nothing to do with money, had nothing to do with status, had nothing to do with playing time, had nothing to do with just genuine people. And the craziest thing is I never experienced genuine people on one team again. And I spent 13 years in the league. And you played in um, one of the most memorable games ever, um, Kobe's 81-point game. And uh, you was the second leading scorer of the game <laughs> with 26 yeah. points. Can you talk about yeah. that experience? You know what? The craziest thing about that game is at halftime, I was like, okay, uh, Chris ain't, Chris Bosh ain't really playing well. Let me get Chris going. You know, let me get Jalen going. Let me start getting Mo Pete some open threes. So in my head, I lost my aggressiveness offensively when it came to scoring. And I started thinking if you was the, when you watch the game again, cause it's going to come on for the next hundred years, like especially on the anniversary, 
But if you watch it, the difference is, it's not that I lost my aggressiveness offensively to score because I'm still being aggressive, but I'm looking to pass. I'm looking to get guys open looks and everyone's missing. It's the craziest thing. So I'm thinking I'm going to get Chris's open looks and he missing layups. He missing dunks. They missing open. I mean, I'm getting open. I'm getting cats open threes. Like they can go like this with the three pointer. Like, you know, break their fingers and then shoot it. That's how open they are. It's hitting the front of the rim. Kobe's getting the rebound, going and one the other way. Like, we're not paying attention to all the misses that we're doing in the third quarter. He's like, the Lakers aren't scoring. He's scoring in the third quarter. And it just so happened when you look up, it's like, damn, Kobe got like 60 right now. Like, wait a minute. Something ain't right right now. Like, and we don't have no idea how to turn this. Actually, it's not that we don't have no idea how to turn this water hose off. We don't do nothing to turn the water hose off. We just look at the water hose just overflowing. And it's a whole team, maybe, what, 13, 14 of us, plus the consistent coaches. And we're just sitting there and we're just watching a broken water hose just flowing water. And we're just like, it's flowing water. Yeah, I know. I see it. There's a lot of water coming out. Like, yeah. Like, we're not saying, okay, let's get this. Let's get this tool. Let's try to fix this. Let's try to wrap this around. Okay, that don't work. Let's do this right here. What if you pull this right here? No, we just go, yeah, it's leaking right there. I know, right? Yeah, it's leaking. Yeah. And we just sit there and just take it how Ice Cube said, Easy e took it. In his song, just when it's games like that, like what do the what are the guys saying on the bench or like after the game is over and you see that he scored eighty one? Like what? I do hated you everybody. I hated my whole team. I hated being a part of the Toronto Raptors. Bruno Rome is burning the next morning. I blame the coach. I blame everybody. I was pointing fingers. I was sitting there like ah. Ah, him, him did that. Him had 45 on him. Him wasn't thinking nothing. I was sitting there like, listen, our coach didn't change one strategy. He didn't tell us trap. We played zone and we played soft man. And we put six, two guards on him. We put no one tough on him. And we just let Kobe, it was almost like it was written. And someone gave Sancho the memo. Like, okay, here's the script. Listen, buddy, wink, wink. Just read the script. Leave all the other stuff out of it. Like, <laughs> And that was it. We don't know. Only him, Kobe, and whoever wrote the script and gave it to him and made him read it. Did you guys, did you and Kobe ever have an interaction in that game or? After man, talking about it years later, talking to that man about that, like that girl in my eyes, it's like it never happened. Like, I don't remember, I don't know what you're talking about. It's only when somebody say, Aren't you Mike James, Toronto Raptors 81? That it's like, you know what, two middle fingers to you, buddy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but other than that. That's not a topic of conversation that I start off like a first, like, you know, first day 
that we get to meet and we interact with one another. That's not the conversation that I'm going to start off. Maybe not even middle or even end with. It has to be something where a person says, wait a minute. Toronto Raptors. Then it's like, okay, middle fingers. But yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> Mike, uh, you definitely have a knack for basketball, and you have a knack for talking as well. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts <laughs> on your on your new podcast. We appreciate you taking time with us tonight on our podcast. But you've also got Mission Bound with Tom Elmore, and yeah. you're getting a chance to do the same thing that we're doing. Man, it's it's awesome, man. It's exciting getting to talk about life experiences, you know, faith, what people are doing in their life today. How are they making different um, changes? And the influence of the people around them. What are they doing? You know, we may talk, if we're talking athletes, we may talk about your career, but it's not really your career that I'm really interested in. But I know people like talking about their careers. People like talking about, you know, the history of who they was. But at the end of the day, I want to know who you are today. I want to know what you're doing today. I want to know what experiences from yesterday was able to build the character in the man or the woman that you are today are trying to become. You know what I mean? You may not be that person yet. You may not be there, but that's all right. Are you in the process of trying to get there is the main question. And so this is the main reason. And it's fun. And I get to talk to athletes and I get to talk sports. I get to talk junk. I like talking. You know what I mean? So I get to talk. I get a microphone and I get to, hey, I'm talking. <laughs> Once one thing I've, I've learned, I've, uh, Two things. Well, in ninth grade, I was uh, in ninth grade. I won best dancer, and can't nobody take that away from me. To this day, I still tell people, "Man, listen, dog. I won best dancer in ninth grade. Like, don't get it twisted. Like, don't ever get it twisted. Like, skills is nice. Like, you know what I'm saying? Ninth grade solidifies me. And from sixth grade all the way to the senior year, I won class flirt and class chatterbox. They were mines in the bag." <laughs> now, Mike, I just want to say, you know, ever since, you know, I met you, I forgot what team, every time you would come into the city and play against the Knicks and talking to you at, you know, during shoot arounds, it's you was you always had this smile and you always had this energy. And then I remember going to Amityville and shooting you out there. You had this smile. You, you, I mean, one thing that I always respected is that your whole give back and you love giving back and you know you love just educating people um what's the what's the future look like for mike james the future is bright man it's about my legacy it's about building a brand that my babies can be able to eat off for the rest of their lives my family can you know there's a scripture that says god blesses every family with someone that breaks the generational curse of poverty and the goal question is, are you that person? Which one is that? And so I believe that I was destined to be that one that breaks that um, chain of poverty in my family bloodline. And my kids now, see, I have my kids already thinking, you know, on the business mindset and money talk, where I've never had conversations about money with my family. I've never had the freedom or the confidence or the know-how to even start a conversation or them to even give me or feed me information. And for me to be able to start, and that's more than generational wealth is not just building your wealth for your family, 
but now teaching your kids how to build wealth for themselves as well. And them now growing in a way where they're now understanding how to become business minding and business savvy for themselves, where they can now teach their kids. And that's what generational wealth is also because I'm building a brand that started with me that before me, it was never even talked about or thought of. You see, and this means so much more to me because I understand no matter how long I'll be on this earth, I'm, my life on this earth is short-lived. So what I do in the process means so much more than just trying to live it for myself, than just focusing on myself. So I really focus really on my brand, my babies, my, 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 my business. You know, I'm a farmer. I have a hemp farm. And so <clears throat> I'm not, I'm on the farm and I'm putting in the work and I'm out there trenching and doing the, uh, on the tractors and on the, and so it's, but it's so fulfilling for me. And it is, it's such a blessing to be able to be a part of what I'm doing, but I can now teach my kids how to grow. And I've given them business models that now that they can take for themselves and start generating capital for themselves, even at early ages. And so no one taught me this, but I'm able to teach that to someone else. That's generational, that's generate. that's, that's, you know, that's generational wealth for me. And that means that that's what the, the future of Mike James is, you know, teaching kids how to play basketball, teaching kids, not really just how to play basketball, but how to be grownups, how to take a game and make that game open up so many doors for you. But in the process, try to be the greatest at it. Don't just try to be good at it. See what happens. You know what I mean? You just might so happen to be that one. Who would have ever thought everyone was nicer than me? Trust me when I tell you, everyone from New York City was nicer than me. I went to Redemption Christian Academy. It was nothing but the nicest, baddest kids in New York City that went to Redemption Christian Academy. I'm from Amityville, Long Island. I started at Redemption Christian Academy. How do I do that? There was always something inside of me that people just didn't understand or they just couldn't gravitate to. But I was just, man, Amityville is just as wild as any Brooklyn borough. Amityville gives you what any other borough in New York City gives you. So I had the same energy. I had a New York state of mind. You know what I mean? So I had to learn that having a New York state of mind is not the right way of living. Like, that's not right. Like, I, I remember one time I went to the store in Queens and I just said, good morning to this dude. He looked at me, he stopped and he looked at me and he looked me up and down and he grilled me. And I'm sitting there like, you ready to fight? Like, for real? Like, my bad, dude. I said to a woman, good morning, ma'am. She grabbed her purse, stopped, paused for like three seconds and looked at me and was like blinking like, Ninja, is you talking to me right now? And I'm like, ma'am, my bad. But that's the anger and that's the New York state of mind. And it's only when you go outside of New York that you realize you don't have to live with that anger no longer. You don't have to live with that. I grew up my whole entire life next to neighbors that I didn't even know like 15, 20 years, and I don't, still don't know them. Won't even look their way. You stay out my way, you, I stay out your way. Don't the ball come on my side, I might knock it over, I might not. It might be mine now. Who knows? Like, we're going to see. You know what I'm saying? You should have kept your ball on your side of the fence, and we good. But 
at the end of the day, this is how you just learn to live as a New Yorker. But these ways they don't necessarily mean that they write, but they work in New York. But does it work anywhere else? And so I had to learn these things. And so I think most New Yorkers need to get out of New York and understand that it, life is bigger than the Big Apple. <laughs> Man, I appreciate you guys, man. Thank you. Mike, I'm gonna call you tomorrow. I'm gonna call you tomorrow because I definitely want to do something with the kids that I definitely, you know, you will love. Love. Mike James, everybody. Appreciate Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Mike. Hey, we went a little overtime tonight, but definitely was great stuff. Uh, (laughs) really enjoyed the show. Yes, Mike is hilarious. He, he is definitely a character. Yeah. I, was thinking, I, was thinking myself, I don't know if the fans at home could, could see my hat because it was getting kind of blurred out by the light. But, you know, how it says support your local daredevil because I, I love motorcycles and I'm definitely a daredevil. I think I need to get a, a hat, Ed, that says support your local podcaster. You know, because uh, if we're going to go overtime every week, we could use uh, can use a little love from uh, from the fans at home. I don't know. Maybe just a thought. Yeah, you, know, I, you know, I think uh, Mike gave us some gems. Alex gave us some gems. I think, uh, you know, step into the arena next Thursday. We're back. And, you know, next Wednesday, we've got the commissioner's corner with Joe Cruz and BG. So, um, you know, check them out next Wednesday. And um, I don't know who their guest is, but, you know, so far they've been uh, they had a great interview yesterday with Epiphany Prince. Uh, so, so good. And I definitely big ups to Randy Cruz and the Cruise Control Podcast Network. Facts. So I think that that pretty much uh, if you got any final thoughts here, because we're definitely uh, we're, we're way over time. Uh, that's, uh, um, you know, hopefully Sunday's a good Super Bowl. Um, that's all. I don't care who wins, honestly. I just want to see it last possession. Same here. Same here. And, uh, you know, tune in next week. Step in the arena. So I think it's a good place to wrap things up. Appreciate all the fans joining us tonight on Step in the Arena. We want to thank Chief Content Officer of BasketballNews.com, Alex Kennedy, 2004 NBA champion and ninth grade best dancer, Mike James, for being our guest tonight. For Edgar Burgos, I'm Bobby C. We'll see you next Thursday.